0: Hello, everyone. Adam Parks here with another episode of Receivables Roundtable. Today, I'm here with my friend Nabil Foster, who is a shareholder and the attorney managing the Chicago office for Baron Newberger. How are you doing today, Nabil?
1: I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine, Adam. Sorry. There's some sirens in the background. Big city, Chicago. It's this is what happens. You know, it's there's always an emergency somewhere. So sorry if there are more sirens in the background there. That's
0: all right. We appreciate you coming on live from Chicago today. Um, And, you know, I've had the opportunity to get to know you a little bit through the years. And we have a lot of really technical kind of legal discussions. um, And I always learn a whole lot from that. So I appreciate you coming on and having a chat with me on the podcast today. But for anyone who's not as lucky as me and hasn't had the opportunity to spend some time with you personally, can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and how you got to the seat that you're in today?
1: Sure, Adam. Uh, well, first, thanks for having me on. I've I watched your series. It's, I think it's it's interesting and informative, and um, you know, you always bring good content for the industry. So um, your, your leadership it. and the services you provide people are, uh, you know, people respect your opinion. So happy to be here. <clears throat> Who am I and how did I get to where I am? Um, so my name is Nabil Foster. Uh, I work in Chicago. I work for a law firm called Barron and Newberger. I came into the, uh, the receivables in- industry probably back in 2007. Um, I came into it from um, from doing legal malpractice, medical malpractice, commercial litigation. Of I, I worked for a small firm back then, mm-hmm. and I moved to a larger firm, and then and then. Found my way, you know, into the hyper-technical world of uh, of consumer class action lawsuits and uh, <laughs> and regulations. And I mean, this industry is so heavily regulated, yet there's so many gray areas and areas where they change one thing and then it, it creates ambiguity elsewhere and leaves people sort of sitting and, and just scratching their head and trying to figure out an answer because people just want to run a business, want to do it in, in compliance with the law gosh, darn it. You know, good luck trying to get a straight answer out of a regulator or, uh, or sometimes with, you know, regulation changes. So Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot over these years in the, in this industry. And what can I say? Um, I like defending, I like defending lawsuits. You know, there are a lot of good actors out there. Now there's some bad actors. Okay. You know, but fortunately, you know, well, I tend to defend good actors, you know, and (laughs) the bad actors, they don't try to find, they don't usually find their way to us. So, um, my law firm, I work with Manny Newberger. Almost everybody in the industry knows Manny Newberger. So, you know, I've known him for fifteen years. Like I came into the industry. He's one of the first people I met mm-hmm. at a conference, you know, because he's there. He's sociable and he knows lots of things. And uh, you know, I um I came over just uh from my old firm and uh to open the Chicago office uh during the pandemic. And it's uh, it's been great ever since. Sorry. That's a long winded answer, but no, no, I think it's,
0: it's a great story. And I think that you've done quite a few different things leading up into, I know this is kind of the abbreviated version, because I know that your uh, kind of storied background in, prior to becoming a lawyer and then working your way through the legal field, um, I think is really, uh, uh, an incredible story, uh, and working for, uh, for Manny, that's gotta be an interesting, uh, it's 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 got to be a lot of fun because I know I always learn something from every interaction that I have with Manny, um, and whether it be about his worldly travels or whatever. But I really do enjoy um, getting to know him through the years. But for anybody who's not familiar with the firm, and I know pretty much our whole audience is. But can you tell everyone a little bit about Baron and Newberger and what you guys do there?
1: Sure, Baron and newberger has been uh, been around since 1981. Uh, it's it's headquartered in Austin, Texas, and um, we've got offices spread out around the country uh we're a small firm i think we're like 21 lawyers uh, and we cover a wide range of states and jurisdictions because we hire people who know what they're doing right it's not it's not a, it's not a training ground for people who have no idea of the industry. so we focus on you know consumer class action consumer finance uh space um uh, uh legal malpractice uh revising lawyers with ethics issues We've got a creditor's right, bankruptcy, national uh, bankruptcy uh, practice. We've got a data privacy um, practice out of our Houston office. Um, So we, we, you know, we, we tend to provide services that are, that are complementary. So for example, you got a, you know, it's a collection agency or a, um, or a collection law firm or a a debt buyer, right? They're going to have data privacy issues, right? They're going to have regulation compliance. So, another portion of the defense services we provide is we help our clients avoid problems by giving them good uh, compliance counseling regarding (laughs) their changes. My earlier comment about trying to get a straight answer, you know, we talk to regulators on a regular basis about questions that clients have, because it's easier sometimes to put that through a lawyer rather than going directly to a regulator. Not, well, there's some, there's some entities that, they're big enough. They they can they have their own communication. Their own lines of communication, mm-hmm. but. Um.
0: No, I think uh, it's a, it's a, doing those through attorneys and those communications from a regulatory standpoint, I think are important, um, for, especially for those of us that are not trying to, or trying to get clarification without painting a target on your back. So I think that's <laughs> a very important function that's from the yeah. Owner standpoint, right? Like, because it, it's creating a degree of separation for you to be able to access the information that ultimately should be publicly available anyway, um, yep. but, you know, such is life. Which leads me, you know, your kind of your background from a technology standpoint and from a, a regulatory and legal standpoint, I think is, is very interesting, which leads me to kind of our topic for today, which is talking a little bit about artificial intelligence and how, that kind of buzzword is having an effect from a regulatory standpoint and what we might expect to see coming down in the future. So let me start with kind of the um, the higher level and let's talk a little bit about artificial intelligence, machine learning, and large language models. And my question is a little bit long-winded, um, but I want to talk a little bit about kind of where these things intersect and the, mis- the fundamental misunderstanding that I think a lot of organizations have between what those three things actually are, right? The artificial intelligence, the machine learning, and then obviously um, talking about kind of some of those generative um, AI and where all that goes. But from, from the government standpoint, they're looking at this mishmash of, of new tools and feels like everyone's going to try and get their slice of the regulatory pie, so to speak. Yes. Um, how do you think these things are going to start to unfold over the coming, let's call it, 24 months? Now that we're, now that these things are starting to get deployed very quickly.
1: Uh, Yes. Well, that, that's a, that's a question. Um, Clients often go to lawyers asking us to look into our crystal ball to tell you what's (laughs) around the corner. I I, I get it. I I understand. I understand. (laughs) Everyone wants to know that. And it's, you know, it, 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 sometimes it's hard to tell me like, um, you know, I don't have x-ray vision, you know, I can't see Mm -hmm. around the corner any more than you, but I can tell you what some of the risks are and Mm -hmm. the ambiguities. And sometimes that's a, that's a proxy for, okay, what might be around the corner? The problem with AI and that, well, first of all, those three words that the, those three terms you get, those are new terms in our collective vocabulary. 18 Mm. months ago, large language learning model that didn't exist. People, if you said that, people had no idea what we're talking about, you know, machine learning. Yeah. Um, again, people look at you like, um, like the, quite frankly, the only, I speak on this topic to uh, to, to other lawyers and trade association, and um, for example, I'm soon. I'm talking to a collection of uh, healthcare lawyers soon about mm-hmm. legal ethics and uh, artificial intelligence. Because as you might imagine, with HIPAA and other things, there's a lot of issue of there's a lot of issues about data privacy and what's happening and what's being used and where AI is going to be introduced. The biggest problem for, well, in general for for lawyers is that their clients are fi- trying to find ways to push AI into every process that they might have, because let's just say there's some, there's some, there's some clients who believe that AI is sort of like, it is the, it is the, the new magic elixir. And it's like, Oh, this is a problem for solving HR problems for, it's for getting around. rid of, you know, a uh, personnel who don't uh, follow policies. And, and like mm-hmm. the idea is that if you have a machine that does something that a person can do, well, maybe it's more reliable. The problem is that the technology is still, in the early stages and it's on un- there's some cases where it's really unpredictable um mm-hmm. there are articles on a regular basis of studies what's called ar hallucination hallucination right mm-hmm. it's there are studies where they take a fixed set of facts and they ask one of the generative ai uh, engines to summarize the facts so it's a closed system right mm-hmm. and depending on which system how it's built how it's learned what it's learned it invents facts that aren't even in the facts that are presented mm. to be summarized. Like, it's like, where did that come from? And everyone's correct. Sorry. There's another siren going past. It's okay. Telling you, it's, it's a lively, lively, it's a Monday, it's a Monday morning and you know, sorry, but <laughs> the AI stuff, um, where's it coming down? It's going to be a case by case basis because it's, it's sort of like that game whack-a-mole mm-hmm. it's like, whichever one is sort of popping up and getting attention. That's where the regulators are probably going to uh, point their attention. And start to look into it. When I was in law school, I worked for the SEC uh, for you know uh, for uh, for summer in the enforcement division, and I learned about how some of those agencies, in particular SEC, how they how they find things to investigate to look at. And one Mm -hmm. of the sources, guess what, is the newspaper. Right, (laughs) things that are getting attention. You know the. They're not sitting there omniscient, like, Oh, they know what everything's going on. They read the newspaper just like everybody else. And there's something going on and there's attention. It draws attention. So if the chat, you know, chat, GPT, whatever, you know, whatever AI engine people are using or product, if there's something that's popping up, it's, it's going to draw the attention. So therefore it's like, that's where, and who knows which agency, which alphabet suit agency is going to take an interest in that and, you know, I don't want to dip into the you, whole you politics to- area, but it's like who who needs who needs headlines? Who needs to show they're doing something? That all kind of factors into it. Thank goodness we have a really good civil service. You know, uh, you know, category of uh, of individual. Not everybody's a political appointee. Thank goodness. Otherwise, nothing to get done.
0: Right. Oh, well, don't, I'm not even going to get started down that path, but you do bring up a, a really interesting um, point, which is when we talk about these large language models and we talk about kind of open versus closed models, right? One of the things that we see is that intersection of artificial intelligence, large language models, and data privacy. So I know for a lot of organizations and we can, you know, again, talking about things that have drawn attention, we'll use Samsung as an example of of an organization that took, you know, proprietary secret information, like trade secrets, plug them into one of these models, and it became part of the model itself, right? And so you could yep. ask the model for that information, it would return that information or would use it in its collective thinking going forward. Um, but how does a bank or a financial institution go and deploy this kind of technology without running the same risks?
1: Without right? saying without... without-
0: how does a how does a bank or a financial institution go about actually executing on using something like a chat GTP or any large language model without uh, breaching the confidentiality and data privacy uh, requirements
1: that they? Uh, uh, the answer is very, very carefully. So, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's like the doc-
0: Maybe like think it through before you just start throwing data at it, something along those lines.
1: Yeah. A lot of organizations have simply uh, issued policies of uh, prohibiting their employees from using any of the uh, generative AI tools that may be out there because Mm. each workstation, depending on your, 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 you know, cybersecurity, you know, policies, um, each workstation is essentially, you know, a access point or a a weak point in your, in your, in in your cyber defenses. And if you've got somebody who's using one of these tools and, you know, they're going to a website and it seems useful, but it's it's either sending the information out or it's creating the you know a portal and there's a there's a problem so there's more data leak. Um, generally, I think most of those financial institutions and the the uh, healthcare institutions are really really um, skeptical and so mm-hmm. they are you know they can't deny that business is going to press them they want to do things but it's going to be you know they're going to be they're going to be really cautious so it's you're going to see the adoption of these things more in businesses that aren't so data sensitive, although you and I've talked about this before, it's going to get to a point where almost everybody's going to be considered a data broker, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, there's so much flow of information. I, I think we're
0: kind of at that point under the definitions and the rulemaking now. I mean, I think my great aunt Sally is a data broker, apparently <laughs> she has a list of recipes that came from multiple people. Um, so, I mean, Hey, look, we can, we can get as extreme with this, but I think that's, That is a very realistic issue that everyone's going to face, especially if they're starting to leverage data that's within these large language learning models. So if you're going to start using a chat GTP or something else that has consumed that information, what risks do you then run, Uh, which I think is going to be a a major challenge. But, you know, I think uh, let me ask you this, you know, from a um, from a deployment standpoint, have you seen a lot of business use cases to where groups have successfully deployed generative AI in the financial services space?
1: uh no and that may be a little uh, bit
0: too proprietary you could
1: then, yeah yeah it, it, but i can say generally generally no um and I'll, I'll give you an example of um that the the risk involved in using one of these generative ais to let's say you want to you want to create some new a new set of collection letters right and you're like oh mm-hmm. wouldn't it be great if you took reg f right all that stuff and you put that there and then you said you put the other stuff that you want in the letter and you want to put in your website and the payment portal and phone number and you're like write a collection letter right with uh with you know uh, with with all the appropriate disclosures factors, right yeah so you do that right and then what do you get generally you're going to get crap you're going to get an <laughs>
0: unformatted just, jumble yeah yeah
1: jumble so therefore it's, you know it's the the, the I think the desire the wish that people can imagine the uh, implementation. It's, that's far ahead of where, where the technology actually is. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that it's, you know, it's going to take a few iterations and for things to get, become a little bit better. You know, I, I give an example. Uh, um, there's, here's a little bit of nineties trivia, right? So the Mozilla, uh, Mozilla Firefox browser, right? The one that's out now. Um, you know, it was a spin-off from what nineties popular web browser, right? So you know, play your Jeopardy music and I know your eyes looking. Does anybody remember Netscape Navigator? Yes. Netscape Navigator was the back in the nineties, remember, there's a time when the internet didn't exist. All right. So way there. back when there was a time at which if you wanted to access the internet, right? Which yeah. people you 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 really you use dial up, you know, the, you the, the modems, you know. The, yeah. Exactly. And you needed a web browser. And it was, you know, Netscape was the one that dominated. I mean, it was the end all be all at the time. Like if you, the internet and Netscape Navigator weren't synonymous, right? Now you ask that of people here, like, what is it? Like they never heard of it. It's, this is a story that things evolve. So Mm -hmm. that first generation of, of web browsers, it was not particularly secure. You know, you could, you could, you could get some stuff up there. There's nothing dynamic about it, what have you, but it was, it was brand new. It was exciting. Now, if you were to implement netscape navigator now people will look at you like you're crazy you know like it can't handle any of the programming languages that exist mm-hmm. now in terms of the thing now on the one hand someone might say it's a whole lot more secure because it can't run any of the code in the background that causes threats huh. but realistically speaking the technology has advanced so where it is now what you get out of these generative ai models, even the private closed loop ones you know there is no way any of that stuff is, is prime time ready until there's a set of human eyes who knows what they're talking about to look at it and to see it. So AI, like almost any that other type of, it's a key. tool.
0: Right. Well, yeah. I, th- I think that becomes the key with the deployment of AI uh, from an operation standpoint is that it's not an independent tool at this point, meaning yes. you can't just set it loose and it's going to go accomplish these things. But I think it is a tool that can be used by individuals to enhance their work, right? It's one thing to write a paper, you know, or to, to look for citations or, or to use the tool in bite-sized chunks for what it's good at. I think over the different iterations and over time, you'll start to to find more um More ways to use those iterations, right? Like more ways to use um, the tool set, and that will, right? And then the gaps between the use of the tool will start to Mm -hmm. deteriorate, but that's going to take a significant amount of time. Now, with the large language models and and creating these restrictive areas, as I've kind of learned through my experiences, that you can actually put some borders around these things, but that comes with a cost, or you have to have a machine that's capable of running these types of models independently. And I can tell you that's not a inexpensive investment, Um, being able to run those models and for you to determine what it is that you're going to train on that model and all that. I think that there is going to be a lot of different uses, but most of the uses that I've seen that were deployable to this point have mostly been in written form. Um and I don't think you can go down the letter path because I think there's just entirely too many variables. I'm not sure that I would allow um, any large language model at this point to independently write anything and deploy it without it going through human eyes. but I do think that there's a value to um, assisting the individuals at that level. Um, I attended a conference earlier this year where they you know it was a a lot of bankers and they were all talking about all the different ways in which they were using um, generative AI. And then one of the lawyers got up towards the end and basically said, like, hey, I'm not here to burst your bubble, but here's my pin to burst your bubble. Um, because ultimately, like, how many of you have written a policy around this, or how many of you have designed things that need to happen in conjunction um, to be able to use this type of technology? What what kind of things are you putting in place to restrict that tool set's access to the amount or you know, to the data that you're providing? Um, And I think that there's just a lot of unanswered questions at this point. I think that there's some cool and interesting technology on the horizon. And there's a thousand different use cases that I've seen that have been Um, dreamt up and interesting but i think the deployability of that technology to this point maybe we'll see more in 2024 and we'll see that next iteration right of chat gtp or whatever tool set um you know people are using i've been playing with bard and looking at google's Mm -hmm. bard as compared to seo strategies and um i do struggle a little bit with um if I give it two websites to rank and it gives me like all this information about ranking those two websites against each other, but then can't um, actually like tell me where any of that data came from is a little frustrating. So I think that there's a lot of training and education, not just of the technology itself, but of the, user of the technology, because just like the way that we search Google, right? Like I know that I've spent enough time, not just searching on Google, but studying Google search algorithm to understand the two colon from colon, right? Like is there's a thousand different commands that we can use in it, but that takes a lot of user training, right? Like Google's not changing what they're doing, but there are a lot of things that we can do within the prompts to better control the the feedback or response that we get from a technology system. I think it'll be interesting to see how it evolves in 2024.
1: Oh, I I agree. The evolving is that that's the name of the game right now. It's, it is, it is in the process of evolving because AI has existed, you know, the, the, the 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 machine learning has existed before the last 18 months. I mean, it's been Mm -hmm. around, except that it's been mostly within research development labs or, you know, large, you know, large, large server environments where they're, playing with the technology seeing what they can do Mm -hmm. now it's sort of there have been pieces that are released into the wild and people have seen it so now it's part of our collective imagination and before now the only the only artificial intelligence people could remember would be like from the terminator movies right or or (laughs) star wars r2d2 right you know you got r2d2 the lovable droid or you got the, uh, you know, Terminator, the T-800, whichever it was. There are three movies. I can forget the models, but, you know, <laughs> you know, you know. it's like that thing comes yeah. and it's like, yeah, it's a machine. It's like, oh, it's here to kill you. It's like, okay, you know, like uh, which is it? But that's, that's what I think our uh, human imaginations go towards because mm-hmm. we don't really know what, what that, when you say it's an algorithm, most people have no idea. If you show them an algorithm, you know, show them the, you know, photos of things and there's not an, like, show me the algorithm. Most people can't pick one out, right? They don't know what it is. Talk about machine learning as an abstract concept. You know, it's the uh, uh, same thing, large language model. Oh, nobody knows. I mean, people have a hard enough time understanding the cloud, meaning, like, oh, this is stored in the cloud. Yes. You know, they, like people think they know. And the problem is that people don't want to ask questions. So, probably the best advice all of your listeners could take away from our discussion right now is that they, before, before they, get anywhere close to implementing anything with ai they should take the time to become a better educated consumer of information about artificial intelligence machine learning and how it's deployed in the products that are they're trying to be sold to them because it's so easy to believe you know the 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 propaganda you know the media like oh this product is this this i'm like you know look it's like like people go and go and look at cars, right? Everyone knows it's a combustion engine or maybe it's a hybrid or something, but people think they understand how a car works. Most people don't. It's like you put the key in the ignition or you push the button and you and you put it on the gas, right?
0: They operate it. They don't know how it right, works. Right,
1: operate people are like, oh, and then there's a radio, right? Like, okay, well, let's talk about the combustion engine. Do you know how that works? What about the oil panel? What about the crankshaft? What about the starter motor? What about the alternator? Oh, what about the you know like okay, slip differential? What? You know, transmissions, like
0: transmissions? yeah.
1: Yeah. It doesn't mean you have to become a mechanic, but if you're going to go out and buy a car, it's worth listening and trying to sit back and pretend that you don't know everything and mm-hmm. just listen and ask questions. And everybody's, everyone's smart. Everybody in our industry, they're smart. They're running a business. They got to make a lot of decisions. I've run a small business myself. You know, Before I went to law school, I was, I was in a bus business, right? I drove buses. I was a diesel mechanic. You know, I know what it's like to run a small business. And there are a lot of decisions. And the technology part, you know, that's just up here. You got to have good people. You got to have clients. You got to have, you know, fundamentals that are solid. And then you're looking to, you know, to improve things, but you got to have a good foundation. Most people, if they focus on the found the, the fundamentals, the, 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 the AI, AI product or, or service that will help them most will become apparent in, in time. If they focus on the fundamentals, in my opinion.
0: I, well, look, I agree with that in every aspect of life, right? Like, stick to the fundamentals. The blocking and tackling is far more important than, you know, being able to throw yep. long bomb Hail Mary passes, um, but, you know, they come with uh, with a different level of success over time because if you can do the fundamentals, you become a successful team. If you can't do the fundamentals, you find yourself always behind the eight ball, so to speak. Well, Nabil, I really appreciate you coming on and having this chat with me today. I feel like sure. every conversation we have is more exciting than the last and look kind forward to continuing easy. to talk to you about artificial intelligence and kind of this intersection with legal over time, because I'm sure in 2024, we're going to have a whole lot more develop on this particular topic.
1: I think you're right about that. So the the lesson for people, is stay tuned, things will evolve and... Um... Yeah, just just focus on your fundamentals, uh, make sure you make sure you got good people you can trust and good people you can talk to, and the rest of the stuff we can all figure out together.
0: Exactly. I love your approach. Uh, For those of you that are watching, if you have additional questions you'd like to ask Nabil or myself, you can leave those in the comments below on LinkedIn and YouTube. We'll be responding to those. Or if you have additional topics you'd like to see us discuss, you can leave those in the comments below as well. And hopefully I'll be able to get Nabil to come back at least one more time to help me continue to create great content for a great industry. But until next time, Nabil, I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming on today.
1: All right. Take care, Adam. Bye-bye.
0: And for all of you watching, we'll see you again soon. Thanks, everybody.